three, two, one, and we're live. Um, you're tuning into another episode of Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. Today, I have Jared with me. So Jared is, uh, to me, pretty interesting. He is an undergraduate. W- would you consider yourself I, an undergraduate? I, I mean, a recent graduate. Okay, a recent yeah. graduate. <laughs> and you are planning to pursue further studies overseas. Yeah. What are you planning to do? Um, so in September, I'm going to do a Master's of Science in International Public Policy in UCL in okay. London. Yeah. Okay. Uh, international... Could you repeat that? International Public Policy. Could so you explain that? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, a, it's like a mix of international relations and public yeah. policy and yeah. how um, public policies in a single country is mm. no longer just siloed, right? You yeah. can't just make policy without thinking about how it affects your relations with other countries. Yeah. So um, that that brings in, I think, two of the biggest uh, realms in foreign policy and public policy mm. and merging it together in a single course. Basically, you get like two master's degrees for the price of one. So it's a discount. It's like a discount. <laughs> what, tr- okay, what triggered your interest in this particular field of study? Um, I've always been very interested in how things work. Yeah. So, and then, you know, when you, when you come to voting age, you start to ask yourself, how does government work? How does policy Nobody work? does that, but please go on. So, right, you start to ask yourself, you know, who, who, who thinks up of these kind of policies and why do they come up with these kind of policies? I know sometimes you see a policy and you'll be like, this is so stupid. Like, why, why would somebody do this? Mm-hmm. Right? And you start to wonder what the factors behind it. And I thought, um, if I could get a formal education, that it would be really interesting. It helps me uh, understand why people do the things they do. Mm-hmm. and why the governments do the things they do. And, you know, now it's voting season. I think it's a good time yeah, to yeah. to be educated about um, policy making. Yep. And it's a good time, I think, to, to really understand um, what goes behind all this and whether mm-hmm. or not our government is just doing things for fun or like... I have that theory. They're just <laughs> doing it for fun just, just, just to test the waters. Yeah. I mean, we, we never know, right? Mm. Yeah. And, and I guess I've always been very interested in uh, putting theory into practice because there's no point just knowing. Yep. And public policy is one place where theory is useless without application. Mm, because you you kind of have to put it into practice what, whether it's good or bad, isn't it? Because you don't really know. You can have all the theories you want. You can craft uh, all the experiments you want, but ultimately you have to put it into practice. Yeah, exactly. Exactly that. Was this something you, you did prior before selecting it for an overseas university? Um, not really. Uh, for my undergraduate, I did philosophy. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, ethics as well as political philosophy. Okay. So we asked the question, you know, um, communism or democracy, which is better? Okay. And, and if you have no metric of understanding what is what, you, mm. you really can't tell, right, which is better and stuff. So uh, I guess that piqued my interest in public policy. And mm. I've always been interested in how the international international affairs work, right? Like, why won't Singapore take sides in liking US or China? Or... Mm. What does it mean by geopolitical affairs, right? Yep. We see these jargons thrown around so much, yep. but we, we don't really understand what they're trying the to say. The average person probably wouldn't understand as much because I would imagine it is a, it's a very deep hole of j- jargon for one, a very huge glossary of terms. And there's just a lot to, to, to uncover, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess there's really just. Too much. You know how sometimes you open a book and then you see that it's 600 pages, you just close it, even though it's interesting. I'll close it and burn it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I'll just close it. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's a lot like that. But I think if you don't, if we don't really ask ourselves or really go and learn about these kind of things, we will never really uh, uncover a whole treasure trove of knowledge mm. about why things are happening this way and yep. um, why we are in this very unique position that we are mm. in Singapore. And 
you know, like why Trump has done certain policies and stuff like that. Mm. So I think to me, I find it very interesting. I, I don't think many people my age will find it very interesting, but, but I'm super intrigued by yeah. things like this. Yeah. I thought everybody, Gerald is like 40 this year. <laughs> so, um, you mentioned philosophy and I find it to be pretty interesting because to my knowledge, when I was growing up, that, the, the word philosophy wasn't really talked about as much. It is, I dare say, uncommon to, to, to have someone to, to study philosophy. So wh- what I want to know is, what does philosophy mean? The, the, the base definition of it and what does it mean to you? Yeah. So philosophy is really, uh, I, I don't, I have no understanding of the Greek or Latin sure. root. <laughs> I mean, if you want to amaze people, you want to amaze me, go ahead. Yeah. yeah I, I have no idea. I've seen <laughs> but to, to explain it really simply, it's just asking a lot of questions and asking a lot of why still we get to the root of it. So philosophy has, I think, three main branches, right? Yep. Um, um, what, what is there? What, what exists? What exists? Yeah. Okay. Um, why does it exist? Mm. What, and why, and? How do we know it exists? So the third one's really about knowledge, mm. right? Uh, what do we mean when we say we know something? Like, for example, I know your name is Kevin, right? Mm. But what does it really mean? Now, what does it mean to know X or to know a certain fact? Yep. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because, uh, six years ago was the very first time I think philosophy courses in university opened up in Singapore. So I was very okay. lucky to be one of the first few batches of philosophy. So you're the testing batcher. Yeah, like testing. Like, you pick, right? If it doesn't work out, burn the course. You just shut it down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's great. Uh, I think Singapore is taking huge steps in liberal arts and philosophy. We have UNUS now. Mm. NUS and NTU both have philosophy programs. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's great that people are just branching out from the traditional fields and really starting to think about the bigger questions about why yep. and how and whether or not what we're doing is right or wrong. Right. I, I mean, everybody must have thought about those before. Like, yeah. yeah. So you, you mentioned that six years ago, you were kind of one of the first batches. What what do you think it means that Singapore has finally allowed a, a subject such as philosophy to be taught? Because one can imagine that previous years, nobody could actually do it because there, there was the lack of the internet. So six, six years ago, it was 20, 2013, 2014. Yeah. Yeah. So, what do you think it means that is, is, is Singapore trying to be more um I won't say cultural. Yeah, because what what benefits does philosophy have to let's say a, a country like Singapore and to the average person? Yeah, uh I would argue that to the average person, philosophy is of the utmost importance, right? Because if we don't understand why we are living and mm. what's our purpose in life, yeah. then we're just wondering aimlessly. I mean, some people can take that view. Um I, I'm not so comfortable with the view that Oh, I'm just wondering aimlessly. I'm just a mess of atoms and, and stuff like that. <laughs> I don't even uh, think that they, they identify as a mess of atoms. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but if we don't think about it, then we will never know, right? We'll yep. never really know. Uh, I think it actually means that Singapore has, uh, agreed, I think, to move away from a more pragmatic sense of education. Yeah. Um, previously, you were talking about economy, um, what jobs you could work after this degree. Yep. And it's very economy centric. But now we are looking at more of the arts. Uh, we are, we are allowing things, uh, where soft skills um, like critical thinking and an intellectual conversation to happen in Singapore, and I think it's a great it's a great step forward. Um, <clears throat> if we see philosophy being taught in schools, uh, you really see how um, the the students really learn a lot more because you start asking questions, right? Yep. And it's not this traditional Singapore mindset where the teacher has all the answers. Mm, yeah, yep. there, are, there are no answers in philosophy. When yep. I ask you, why do you exist? Nobody has the right answer. There is no answers in philosophy. Yeah. There, okay. No answers. They're just uh, what you think yep. as well as what are the fallbacks of that yep. kind of thought, yep. right? 
And, and it's very it's very liberating. People may think it's very confusing, but I think it's liberating to say, I don't know. Mm. Right? How many people do, do you meet that are very comfortable with saying that they don't know? Yep. Most people want certain right answers. Yep. Yeah. And we're we're brought up that way in yep. Singapore. Yeah, so so that's what I wanted to, to bring up because I would imagine uh, going through the education system in Singapore, I mean, from, from primary to secondary, maybe even tertiary, um, I think you really hit the nail on the head right there because um, we are conditioned to think that the, the there is one central figure and we get our answers from the central figure. But perhaps the internet, the arrival of the internet kind of changed that. And I, I believe right now um, with, with online learning and stuff like that, there is a bit of a power uh, vacuum because you, you shift away from the, the teacher and you can actually learn a lot more on the internet. So for, with regards to, to, to what you learned in, in school, um, was it, have you always been curious about things that you don't know? Because I would imagine that there will be a bit of um, apprehension and hesitation to, to, to even approach such a vague and quote-unquote dead subject because Singapore is a very pragmatic country. And I, I can't imagine a, a conversation with, let's say, someone and you telling them you want to study philosophy. I think perhaps the next question might be, what is the profession? Because you have to be pragmatic. You have to earn money. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those are very real concerns. Uh, philosophy actually is, is, is what I would like to call a high, higher order kind of subject. Higher um, order. Yeah. Like if you cannot handle basic things like math and science, you know, you don't go into philosophy. And actually that's really, that's really interesting. Uh, some very interesting things that most of my professors don't do philosophy in their undergraduate or graduate studies. Mm. Um, I have a professor who did his PhD in physics. Okay. And then jumped over to philosophy because at the end of physics, right, you have solved the science and math, but you haven't solved the why, right? Why does the quark exist? Why does gravity exist? And okay. what is its importance? Um, yes, uh, I think I was very privileged. Uh, like I didn't have to worry about a job after that. Uh, mm. I already have a job with the Singapore Navy and yep. they very nicely sponsored my undergrad. Very study. nicely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. And... I guess most of my friends, uh, they do go out there and they do quite interesting things. Uh, I have a friend who's a writer of SPH. I have a friend who's doing investment banking. Um, I have a friend who is in the bioethics advisory, uh, commission here in Singapore. Bioethics advisory. Would you happen to know what that friend does? So, you know, uh, you know how sometimes you want to do experiments on things and they, and they have to ask you, is this ethical? Ethical. Right. And this okay. is a question for a philosopher, right? Mm. Like if I was to run human trials of a vaccine, yep. is, is that an ethical thing mm. to do? Um, I think more interestingly, uh, this can be applied very real in a real life situation. For example, like a self-driving car. Yes. Right. Um, should I choose to hit a grandma or a baby? Right. Because can, neither. Yeah. Ne- <laughs> yeah but, but it can be programmed, right? It can yes, be programmed. Yes. And, yeah. and then we ask big questions like, should the self-driving car sacrifice the driver mm. in order to save the grandma and the yep, baby? Yep. Yeah, and would you drive a self-driving car like that? There's a lot of contention with regards to that because firstly, it's it's programmed, it, it, it's powered by the AI and its algorithm and it's it's programmed by a programmer. So I think there was a lot of contention that what if the car were to hit a bystander? Whose fault is it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. yeah and this is where I think philosophy comes in in a very real way, right? Because... Mm. When you hit these questions, who do you ask, right? You ask you ask the philosopher who is doing part time at McDonald's, right? <laughs> because you can't find a proper job. <laughs> you can't find a proper job. Okay. Yeah, and, and and I think most people start to forget that these are 
at the end of the day, questions that you need people to think about. Mm-mm. Yeah, and 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 I'm just been very blessed to to study study something like that. Do you think it's, do you think it's something that only people who is able to go or to get admitted into a university should know, or do you think it should be taught at a very young age and you slowly cultivate it? Because as you said, these are very essential questions. The why you can you can be programmed to to do um let's say math really well, science well, engineering whatever, but ultimately I I personally believe that if you don't examine these questions you will hit a perhaps like a stalemate at, at a certain point so what do you think of that i i think we should have taught it really really early on but actually if you think about it as children right mm. we're always very curious about the world right like where do babies come from um why the does stalker. apple right yeah they're like a stalker right yeah and they tell you like oh when um, when two people love each other yeah. they go in the room <laughs> the birds and the bees yeah. yeah and then after a while we stop asking questions because we realize that the adults aren't equipped to handle them Mm. Right, and that's because I think nobody really has a firm foundation in asking questions and being okay with not knowing the answers. You ask Google, yeah, you ask Google, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But even I mean, Google does have a limit as yep. as well. Yeah, yeah. So I I think it's very helpful to teach it at a very young age. Uh, but of course, you know, you won't go to a six year and go like you know, life is meaningless. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no meaning to life. Yep. Uh, but there is. Yeah, there isn't. <laughs> I, I I contend that there isn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we try to make the best of it, and and I think really people, it shouldn't be a formal subject thought in school. Mm. But I think a lot of it is really about thinking about things. And sometimes as we grow up, I think we just stop thinking because it's just easier not to. Mm. Yeah. So you just accept. Yeah, you just accept, right? Like, oh, this one I don't know. Yeah, my, you know, they tell me not to think about it. I have more important things to think about. How many times have you heard that phrase, right? Like, I have more important things to think about. And first time from you, though. <laughs> yeah, because I don't talk to people about you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so we just stop having these conversations, and people just stop thinking, and we just have to accept a lot of things that, mm. that come true. Yep. And we stop questioning, and we stop challenging our own assumptions, even right. Like yep. in philosophy class, the f- the first thing I remember my professor telling me was that everything you think you know think again because to be very honest how much of the knowledge in the world can we possibly possess at any given point of time not even one percent yeah not even one percent yeah. I, I would it's probably not even a decimal point like if, yeah and you know as human beings we're so sure that we know everything yep yeah and and i think philosophy has really opened that realm where where you start to to be to humble yourself and and realize that actually we, we don't know anything and we should be we should accept that yep. in our life and so, yeah, I think it should be a way of life. It's not even just an education thing. <laughs> Touching on that, was there a particular point in, in, in your university when studying philosophy that, that something really uh, challenged like a preconceived uh, model of thinking and you had to really sit down, look at yourself, examine yourself and change? Do you remember anything like that? Yeah, I think that <laughs> I tried to be vegetarian for a week. I oh, yeah, seven days... 24, 24 times 7, that's about 144 hours. That's not bad. Yeah, yeah it's not that bad. Uh, I, I gave up at about the fifth day or something. I just needed a steak, like real bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think the argument's very simple, right? So so, so this was something that really challenged me and, and it caused me a lot of grief because the argument was correct. Uh, so the argument goes like this. It goes like, um, we should not cause pain to things that can feel pain. You agree with me? For the purpose of this composition, I'll agree with you. Yeah. yeah. And animals can feel pain when you when you when you kill them and slaughter them for meat okay right and therefore 
we should not be eating animals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I think that that was a very simple argument that moved me and I go like, yeah, actually the argument makes sense, right? We shouldn't be causing pain to things that can feel pain. And, mm-hmm. and I just go like, <clears throat> yeah, okay, I shall try to be vegetarian for a week. And if I can, I'm going to do it my whole life. But but I can't. <laughs> a week to a whole life is a big step. Yeah. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but I but I can't. I realized that it's so difficult because we I was brought up eating meat and I I like meat. Yes. And sometimes this was the hardest thing for me to grasp is that just because something makes sense doesn't mean that you should be motivated to do it. Mm. Yeah. And this was very, very hard for me to accept. Right. Just because something makes sense doesn't mean that you should accept it. Yeah. Like for example, we all know we should save money and exercise three times a week. I don't know where you're getting that from. Are you reading it off piece of paper or something? I really don't know where you're getting that from. But okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Or like, you know, you drink seven glasses of water a day and stuff okay. like that. Yeah. General stuff. Yeah, but yes. We know it makes sense, right? Like, it makes perfect sense, but we just don't do it because there's just no motivational set to do it. I think that's one of the hardest things in philosophy is when um, you know something makes sense, but you mm. just can't bring yourself to do it. And, and, and then you either feel like a hypocrite or like mm. you feel like you failed in a certain sense. Yep. Yeah. And... Yeah, I think the second hardest thing is trying to talk to people about it because it's just switch off. <laughs> what 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 do you mean to switch off? Like, imagine a dinner table, you're trying to talk about philosophy. Yeah. And people just go like, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. Depends on how many beers you've had, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or like, depends on how, I think, how drunk everybody is. Yeah, yeah. You have to read the room, definitely. Yeah. And there's this joke that says that philosophers don't get invited to parties. Mm, yeah. I've definitely read that somewhere on Reddit, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So on on... On that topic of the example that you just said, I would like to know your thoughts on this. Where do you think ideas come from? Uh, my artist friend once sent me this YouTube link called Everything is a Remix. Have you, have you heard of it? Oh, that's like at least seven years old. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty long ago. And, and, and I, when I saw it, I realized that, hey, you know, uh, it tackled this idea of originality and creativity. Uh, I would say ideas are largely in our you know, subconscious, okay. right? It comes from somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. But the thing is that we don't generate things. Our brains don't think, like they don't generate things on its own, right? It has to be perceived from outside mm-hmm. of you. And because of that, nothing that you ever think about or generate is ever yours because mm. you have borrowed it from somebody else. Mm. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that's where that's where ideas come from. I don't have a firm understanding. This is just my two cents. Yeah. So don't quote me about this. <laughs> <laughs> so if, Everything has to be generated. And I guess nothing is ours per se in the in, in every sense of the word. Where do you think our identities come from? Uh, how 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 do we latch on to certain things that we would say, hey, I like this, I like that, I don't like this, I really don't like that. How do you think we get attached to these things? I think these uh come into the realm of I think sociology where we where we look at things. I think that there isn't so much about identity, but more about like personal preferences. Okay. Uh if we do think about identity, like where does the phrase I'm Chinese come from, right? Or what does it mean to say I'm Singaporean? Mm. Yeah. And all these I think it's just because uh naturally we are just we are just built to to organize ourselves into social groups. And these uh I don't know, scientists have said that these are just herd instincts, right? Mm. It's easier for people to survive in groups than alone. And we've just brought that with us through the years and here we are. And identities are just ways of telling groups of people that, hey, we are the same. Don't hurt me. Uh, let's, <laughs> you know, let's, let's live together. Let's yeah. survive together. And I think in this day and age where identities are being challenged and norms are being challenged, 
it's a really good time to go back to history and realize that all this is just evolutionary. Mm. It wasn't created overnight. Yep. Right? We did this because we needed to survive. Yep. Yeah. And he- here's the fun thing. When people figure out how to survive, we start to do funny things, right? Because we know that we can survive and we start to ask ourselves, okay, what's next? So the base needs are met. Yeah. What's next? Yeah, what's next? And we start to think about other things, right? Like innovation, like yep. art, yep. like uh, philosophy. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So it, unfortunately, it, it falls into the realm of, uh, it is it's essential in every sense of the word, but it is not essential, quote unquote, because you kind of don't need it to survive, but you need it to, to is the word grow? Y- yeah. I Think of it this way, right? Like, uh, we don't need to survive in a sense that we need bread and water to survive or we need food and water to survive. Yes. But what's the point of surviving if you don't have things like art and philosophy? So you're not living. Yeah, you're not living, right? You're mm. just surviving. Then we might as well just be microbes or like a, like a plant, or like a tree. Yep. Right? And then th- there's no point to everything, which is where I think uh, these essentials come from. Yep. Right? But at the very root of it, if we cannot have settle like what we call bread and butter issues. Yep. Um, there just isn't, uh, it just doesn't make pragmatic sense to, to look at it this way. But then of course, all this is in a context that we should be pragmatic in the first place. Mm. Right. And we're grown and we're taught that no, we should be pragmatic. Surviving comes first. Yeah. But I think we've come <clears> to the <throat> point where we should challenge that notion, right? Like what's the point of surviving with all this? Yeah. You kind of have the pragmatic nail, I guess, hit into everybody's head when they're young. Yeah, so that that that's kind of quite difficult to to, I guess the word is deprogram. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in there's this like industry term. It's called unlearning, right? Um, I remember my friend once told me that uh, when he went to junior college, uh, the chemistry teacher went forget everything your old levels had taught you. <laughs> What's it's the all teachers wrong. saying that <laughs> to the students? <laughs> yeah, and, and and it really is right, like. As we grow older, we realize that we just need to unlearn so many things that we have learned in the past. And mm. we just need to move forward. Like imagine if your parents didn't unlearn their ways of, no, we must write letters, we cannot use WhatsApp and stuff like that. Yep. It's just going to be really hard for people to move forward. And this is how big companies and big nations fail because they just don't unlearn fast enough. Yeah. And I think this is going to be the hardest thing for anybody to do, myself included, actually. What was something that you had to unlearn recently? I think for a very long time, uh, I'm not sure if you know it, there's this thing called the Dunning-Kruger curve. Please explain. Yep. So the Dunning-Kruger curve comes when uh, the first stage is where you realize, where you think you know everything. Sure. Right? And then the second stage comes when you realize that you don't know some things. So it goes down? Yeah, yeah it goes down. Okay. Right? And then the third stage is when you realize that you don't know, you know what you don't know. That's the third stage. So it stagnates? Like it, 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 <laughs> it moves forward. It moves forward in a sense. Yeah. It's a 2D, 2D curve, yeah, It's like, curve, it's like right? a 2D curve. Yeah, okay. yeah. Like, it, like it, moves, it moves to the right. Okay. Yeah. And you the know most, what you don't know. Okay. Yeah. And the most dangerous part is thinking that you know everything. Right? So the mm. goal is to get things from you knowing everything. You realize that you know what you don't know. Yep. Right? Obviously, the most dangerous is that you don't know what you don't know. Right? Yes. 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 Yeah. But that's normal. Yeah, it's perfectly normal. Yeah. It's perfectly yeah. normal. So the, the key is to shift from not knowing what you not don't know to knowing what you don't know and filling up that gap. And I would imagine, um, because we 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 kind of talked about how there is really so much things in this world to to know about. And I guess it's a 
it's a journey, isn't it? There is you 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 don't end your your thoughts and your your musings about philosophy when you end school, right? I doubt so. I think it's 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 something that they they open the floodgates for you and you just uh, grow with it. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's that's the best thing about philosophies that there's there just isn't a stop sign. Mm. Like for example, uh, it's just okay. It's a bit bad to, to shit on the engineering courses, but at the end of an engineering course, right, you just go, oh, yeah, that, that, that's all there is to know. Okay, bye. You're, you're done with engineering. Mm. But you can do the same with philosophy or art or music or things like that. This just isn't a stop sign because there's so much more to know. Yep. And and I think that, that's that's really the best thing about education like this. It, is it? It's not sitting for an exam and getting it over and done with, right? You, you continue on this process where you just keep learning. Would you say the text is still being written? Yeah, definitely. Mm. Um, I would say the text now is a lot more boring than text in the past. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, text in the past, philosophers tried to understand everything in one book. Right? Like, <laughs> here, I have the, the capital T truth yeah, yeah. <laughs> in three volumes. Yep. Uh, now philosophers are writing, oh, there's this little problem yep. with Spinoza's uh, third volume. You know, and mm. we try to inch our way out of that, inch our way uh, to widen that circle of knowledge. And so it's a bit more boring now. People don't come up with like grand theories and stuff like that. Um, Do you think there's a reason for that? I think because we we build, build things up as we go. I think what would be really cool is like, for example, if Flat Earth was real, right? Whoa, <laughs> so many people will be validated, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And imagine that was true, right? We would have to rethink so many things that we yep. know. And the things that we don't even know, I mean, they, they could be right. I mm. mean, give them the benefit of doubt. Yep. Right. And if they are right, then there's so many things that we need to relearn and do. But yep. because we've been so comfortable building on past knowledge, yep. um, we think everything is cool, everything's fine, and we just carry on with status quo. Yeah. Would you say that being a philosopher, it's a bit off? It's a bit counterculture. It's a bit going against the green because you're, you're constantly questioning uh, inf- information that comes to you, whatever that might happen to you, would, would you agree to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, most philosophers uh, died because they either went crazy mm. or people found them so annoying they had to be put to death. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when you know you're doing a good job. I yeah, suppose. that's when. You, yeah, right. When you yeah. piss people off. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and yeah, I think a lot of it is like that. Right, when you question people's assumptions about things, they they don't like it. Yep, because it's uncomfortable. Yep. Yeah, and. It's very funny because people will say, oh, you got to get out of your comfort zone and yep. stuff like that. But they don't, they don't mean it. They, they don't want to get out of their comfort which, zone. Which is, uh, which is, I think, what I was getting at with people and ideas because I would imagine, um, let's say, getting out of a comfort zone, it's either they are parroting it, they are saying it for the sake of saying it because it, it, because it feels like the, the right thing to say at that particular scenario. So they're kind of conditioned to do so. And with regards to, let's say, you saying you you challenging someone's assumption about their their reality and they and they wanting to 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 kill you. I think when I think of something like that, I think it's more of them being too attached to that particular idea that they are willing to defend it and they're willing to enact like a physical manifestation of violence onto the person saying. So I think it's a bit it's a bit interesting that that the people do get so attached to ideas, and I think this can be seen in religion. Yeah. What are your thoughts on religion? Um, interesting story. Um, I've been an atheist most of my life. Um, right off the womb. So, yeah, right off the womb. <laughs> right, right. I asked my parents when I was, when I was a little kid, right, like, you know, what's that? Like, yeah. Oh, that's the altar. Our grandma prays to it. I don't know what it is, but just do it. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> uh, 
Um, <clears throat> in August last year, uh, I became a Christian. And since then, I had to really unlearn a lot of things that, mm. that happened previously. I was, I was a hard up atheist, man. Tell me any fact about Christianity you know, and I could give you 10 facts on why that's false. Okay. Yeah. And, and I was so, so certain that I was right that God didn't exist and stuff like that. But, uh, in my quest, I think to prove that God didn't exist, uh, I started finding out a lot of things about Christianity and starting to find it more and more believable. So you consumed a lot more uh, material about yeah. Christianity, okay. Yeah. So I did cross references of the Quran with mm. the with the Bible. Yep. Uh, what verses are what what verses are equivalent? Um, what verses borrowed? I went to the history yep. and and stuff like that. And I was quite crazy about it for a while. And actually, that really uh got even crazier when doing philosophy, right? Because philosophy and religion are quite intertwined. Are they? Yeah, because religion asks, "What is your purpose in life? Why?" Why is your purpose? Uh, what is your purpose? What is your purpose? Okay. Why do you live? Yep. Who created you? Yep. Right? Uh, who created everything that we yep. know about? And religion tries to find an answer to all that. And philosophy is doing that as well. Right? Mm. Okay. Yeah. So these two are actually like parallel tracks and yep. sometimes they intertwine here and there. And so I think that really pushed my, pushed my interest into that, into that region. Yeah. And, and yeah, religion is one way that people try to make sense of things and people yes. will defend their life. I mean, you look at the Spanish Inquisition, right? Yep. They were willing to kill people to prove that their religion was correct and to spread their religion because, hey, we are right. You are wrong. Yeah. Uh, I think we need to move away from that mindset. Um, in the, a the, sense. The plundering and the pillaging. <laughs> yeah. Or like shooting people because they disagree with you. <laughs> but I think, I think to, 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 I, I don't know that much about it. Could, could you explain? Yeah. So, uh, I guess in any religion, it is logically impossible to accept another religion. If you think about it, if you say my religion's right, your your religion can't be correct. I mean, that, that statement in itself kind of invalidates everything else. Yeah, precisely, yeah. right. And so when, when we think about religions uh, living in harmony side by side, there has to be some kind of tolerance going on. Because yep. at the back of your head, you're always going to go like, I'm right, you're wrong. My, my God is, is greater than yours. Yeah. yeah. Or like your God doesn't even exist. It's not yes. even a matter of greater or not, yes. right? I, uh, I think those sentiments are baked into the text. Yeah. 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 It, it has to be because otherwise your god isn't powerful because there are other gods running around. <laughs> <laughs> on games, yeah. Yeah, like yeah. game, right? Yeah, and then yeah. they're like, they have a conference table and they, okay, <laughs> today your turn, tomorrow my turn. They have a Zoom meeting. <laughs> okay, yeah. Yeah. And and so I think a lot of it is really about how, how we deal with this kind of dissonance in speaking with somebody else whom you think is obviously wrong, but still maintaining that kind of I think respect uh, that you give another human being. And I think if people can do that on a religious level where they are so sure that they are right and you're wrong, yeah. uh, we can do that with a lot of other things. But obviously we don't, I think we don't see it in practice uh, a lot. Mm. Yeah. And I think most people just avoid the topic altogether. Like you won't go to some of another religion and go like, hey, your religion's false. <laughs> you're going to hell, man. Nobody does that. I think statements like that kind of pushes someone in the opposing side, really. It, it, it has the counter effect because I would imagine saying something like that. It, it is to persuade someone to, to perhaps have, 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 have a different frame of mind, have a different train of thought. But I would imagine being so, I would say the word is confrontational. It is objectively confrontational where you go up to someone and say, hey, your religion sucks. That kind of statements would throw someone further, deeper ingrained into their own religion because who are you to say? And you get confrontational like that. And 
there is a distinct lack of empathy when when you're talking like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think that that may that used to be the way in the past, right? Like, okay, I'm coming over to conquer yes, yeah, the city because, because of the, the 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 Western religion and they impose. Yeah, they and just I'll, impose yeah. it. And I'll imagine nobody if if, if people don't don't uh, adopt it, I think they will get killed or slaughtered. Yeah. yeah. Right? You'll just be deemed a her- heretic and yep. then you you'll just die. Yep. And that that is the way that we used to do in the past. But uh I think we can see a lot of that um today even, where people are just not comfortable with people having differing opinions. People are not comfortable with people having differing opinions. Yeah, yeah. I would agree with that statement. Yeah. yeah, and and it's just really hard for for you to for example, uh, be friends with somebody who has just a totally different worldview from you. Like, I cannot imagine being friends with a flat other. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> like, it's just so strange, right? Like, you, 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 you have this totally different concept of the world. Yep. And everything that we're going to talk about is just going to be on different premises from all the way down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And most people just do this by just avoiding talking about it. Mm. Yeah. But I think we should move away from that and start to find out more. Like, hey, what got you to, to yes. know this? And we can still agree to disagree respectfully, right? And just go, okay, cool. You believe in that. I believe in mine. Yep. You know, no no need to shove uh, what you think is right down my throat. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, 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 that's an interesting thing that, yep. that we should think about nowadays. Yeah. So, uh, furthering on your story about uh, being a Christian right now, um, what was the, so, so, so you mentioned that you consume a lot of information, but what was the actual thing that pushed you over the edge? Um, very interestingly, it's because of philosophy. <laughs> okay, so, so it goes back to that. Yeah, it goes back. I, I was uh, reading a lot into uh, what we call ethics and what's right and wrong. Yep. And I believe very firmly that there has to be an objective set of how we determine right and wrong things. So you, you fundamentally believe that there is an objective truth? Um, I would, wouldn't say capital T truth, but I would say that <laughs> there's an objective set of values that says this is right and that is wrong. Like, if I was to tell you to explain to me why kicking a baby is wrong, you would just say, Whose like, baby? <laughs> what color? <laughs> will it prevent, will it have world peace? Yeah, after? Yeah, yeah, right, right. So, so I think all these questions are, are very important. And, yes. and, and if you, and we cannot defend it, like, no, that is objectively wrong. It's going to be very hard for anybody to have a certain moral compass. Yeah, and 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 I was just dead fixed on trying to find um that moral compass. Okay. Yeah, and and I found that moral compass uh in what we call deontic. What's that? Uh, deontic basically means in attribute to something else. In attribute to something else. Yeah. So a deontic uh ethic theory would be this ethical theory is an attribute to God. Like God is all powerful, therefore He knows what's right and wrong. He writes the rules, and therefore this is right and wrong. Okay. Yeah, okay. so that's just some, that's just jargon. Yeah, but anyway, <laughs> I heard God and I, I just lost it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, that's okay, just jargon. In but attribute, so so because something is this, therefore something is like yeah, this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I think that that really drove me to it, and I found it so compelling because it was such a complete uh, idea of of discerning what's right and wrong, and and it made a lot of sense to me. I think as as a person, and 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 with that, I think that really pushed me over the edge. And yep. And after that, when I started reading more about it and I started fitting the pieces together, yeah, actually, it makes sense. Yep. Right? And and then, obviously, there's more like, so like historical reliability and stuff like that. And then we start filling in those pieces later. Yeah. But if you do look at any of the major religions in the world, all of it, what they're really trying to sell you is really just the three big questions, right? Like, uh, why do you exist? Who created you? Uh, how do you know things? And what is right and wrong? And 
I think it's very helpful because it does give people a certain sense of purpose and direction yep. and knowing whether you're doing something wrong or not. Otherwise, you can just go around kicking babies and just go like, hey, no, there's no You object. have to find a baby to kick first on the floor. It's quite yeah, difficult. Fl- yeah. yeah. <laughs> you could go into like, I don't know, some like kindergarten, kindergarten. and you just go there and start kicking babies. <laughs> yeah. Well, but you'll be tagged by the QR code now. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting you use the word cell, religion and cell. Why do you think that that word came, came from you? I think a lot of it has to do with uh, has to do with marketing. Okay. Yeah. Like uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't uh, believe in a religion that only one person followed. I mean, there's Scientology line. Oh, that is massive. That's not just one person, (laughs) dude. Yeah. But but it's a small percentage of people. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it is massive. And if if somebody came up to you and they were like, you know, I believe in a flying okay. Flying spaghetti, spaghetti monster. monster. Right? I think that's pretty massive as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, but or if they come with something really weird and absurd, yeah. you won't be like, nah, I, I, I'll buy that. No, no, nobody would do it, right? So I think a lot of it is doing marketing, and it's very interesting because I think at the end of the day, uh, we still need to grapple with. It's so strange, right? Like if you were created by somebody, why must somebody still sell their truth to you? Mm. Why must somebody still sell their truth to you? Yeah. Assuming you're created by a divine being. So, uh, so assuming by what you just said just now, uh, God created everybody, yeah. therefore God created the person trying to sell that idea to you? Yeah. It's strange, right? But I guess it brings up more questions, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. It does. And, and, and which is why I think a lot of it has to do with finding out the answers to those questions. Yep. And as we go along the way and you find out the answers to those questions, you get more and more convinced yep. uh, along the way. And which is where I think people get very deeply ingrained. And we go back to the idea about ideas, right? Yep. And why they are so firm and so quick to defend that. Because so much of who that person is, their identity is really deeply rooted in what they believe in. Yep. And all these simple notions that may seem very trivial, but are actually very important in building up this person's character and stuff like that. Mm. So, are there... Are there any things that you disagree with with regards to Christianity? Tons. Okay. Tons of things that is really like, how can God go around just smiting people and just go like, oh, I'm just going to kill off everything I made except two of each animal. What's 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 the image you have when he does that? He poops and the poop drops down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, who knows, right? He, like, he could just blink. He doesn't mm. really need to move. He's... He shrugs. Yeah, he shrugs. Like, <laughs> like he, he, he sighs. And like, <laughs> he sighs. <laughs> so, Accidentally. Every, yeah. Yeah. And then the whole world is just flooded. And, yeah. Yeah. And sometimes I disagree with it. I just know that, that that cannot be right. Like how how can you do something like that? Yep. Yeah. And, and that's where I think we we examine again and we ask ourselves, okay, if if I were God, what, what, what would I have done? Mm. And then again, it's this never ending cycle of questions, yep. right? And I think a lot of times we or myself, we just don't really know the answers to these questions. Yeah. And I, I, I dare say that a lot of times religion brings a lot of comfort because if you don't know the answers, somebody else knows the answers. Yeah. And somebody else meaning uh, someone who is human or like no, someone like divine? Someone divine, right? Okay. Somebody divine knows the answers. And this brings a lot of comfort to a lot of people. Yep. Yeah. And to me, I'm, I'm just really competitive. Like, I want to know the answers too. Tell me. You could just WhatsApp him. Or- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mean they don't give you the number? No, no, no. Okay. Don't, yeah. it's, like, it's like a treasure hunt, right? Like you, you flip the pages. You know those adventure books you use when you were kids? Turn to page 68. And, then, <laughs> and you die. <laughs> yeah, you die. Oh, shit. I got to start over. 
So with regards to being an atheist before, are you able to 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 elaborate on what your your morality was back then? Because in, in Christianity, <laughs> I, I would imagine that there is a really hard uh, facts about, I guess, what is moral, what is immoral, and people tend to pick and choose, and people tend to read it subjectively. So I'm just curious, as as an atheist, uh, from an atheist to being a Christian now, how has that changed your your own mor- your own set set of moralities? Yeah. So. I think it hasn't changed much. So here's an interesting thing. So that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's not bad in a sense, but Mm. I think even before I was Christian, I agree with a lot of the moral values that Christianity will espouse. So don't steal Wi-Fi. Yeah, don't steal Wi-Fi unless they say free (laughs) (laughs) Wi-Fi. Or like yell penis for password. (laughs) (laughs) And and yeah, so I think a lot of the values uh, are pretty much aligned. And when you go like, oh yeah, actually that makes sense. Mm. Right? If, If this religion was about kicking babies, mm. then obviously I would think twice. Yep. Right. But if it's pretty much aligned with yours and you start to feel, oh, actually that makes sense. Why not? Yep. And and back when I was atheist, I think a lot of times it was just easier to not have somebody care about it. Like when you're atheist, like, yeah, so what? So what if I don't do the right thing? What are you going to do to me? What do you mean it's easier to not have someone care about it? Um, in a sense, if you don't do the right thing, yep. there is no repercussion to it. Right, we are just a bunch of atoms floating around. Sure. Right, and if we are just a bunch of atoms, we have no moral culpability whatsoever. So it's a justification for uh, the, the 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 prior action or the prior inaction. Yeah. Okay. You you can choose not to care, mm. and that's perfectly okay yep. because you have nobody to answer to, right? Yes. Yeah, I think with this, uh, it it gives you a like a like a onus or like a like a reason to care about right and wrong. Yeah, and this is where I agree with you that people cherry pick about right and wrong, right? And too many people cherry pick when the whole point of being believing in a religion is getting it wholesale. You don't get to choose mm. <laughs> what you think is right and mm. wrong, right? Like, uh, there's this meme that people they're uh, Christian memes. Yeah, they're Christian memes. There's an entire. Later, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I found my true calling. Okay. Yeah, and and a lot of it's about you know people doing bad things on Saturday and then repent on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, isn't <laughs> and, that how? Catholicism worked? Actually, that's how most, I think, Judeo-Christian religions work. What is a Judeo-Christian? Uh, it's the Jews and the Christians. So the the the, the Jewish religion, uh, Christianity, and I wouldn't go so far to say Islam as well, but I think okay. the, the, the Jew, Christians, and Catholics, that, that works that way. Yep. Like you do something wrong, you repent, everything's good, all's good. Yep. Right, but we we... I'm pretty sure God didn't intend for it to be that way. Like, I just can't kill a million people and go like, oh God, I'm sorry. Mm. And then like, poof, sin's cleared. It yes. doesn't, doesn't work that way. Yeah. And which is why I agree with you that most people pick and choose and I don't think, <laughs> I don't think that's how it was designed to be. Mm. Yeah. But if you take it wholesale, aren't there some really strange set of rules to follow in there? Because there's the Old Testament and New Testament and there is the issue of uh, the, the 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 Bible as we know now, there are different versions. Uh, the text being translated now, being translated from Hebrew, I think. <clears throat> so I would imagine some things get lost in translation. Who knows that tomorrow there might be a completely new book and people, and I think all these books, um, let's say any particular version, they are selected by, uh, I guess, the priest at that time. So if, and priest being human, ultimately human, although a divine vessel, could have certain biases. Definitely, yeah. definitely. Uh, 
this was a contention I had also, right? Like I used to ask my Christian friends, if the Bible was proven false tomorrow, will you give up your religion? You'll burn it, uh. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. And and this it's this answer that surprised me because so much of their religion, of our religion, sorry, I'm still not used to it, hinges on the Bible. Our, being our true. religion. <laughs> so later we eat dinner, you you say grace, uh. Yeah. <laughs> they hold hands and we open to the Father. <laughs> so so yeah, I read it. A lot of it hinges on the Bible being true. Yes. And, and I agree with you that it, it's entirely uh, written by humans, even though it's uh, divinely uh, inspired. inspired. Yeah. And here's an interesting thing. It doesn't matter which version you read. The core idea is still the same. What do you mean? The core idea that we are all sinners, yep. that Jesus Christ came down, saved us, and is back in heaven. As in he died, he resurrected and he's now back in heaven. And so, so the core, the core message is still the same. Uh, everything else. Okay. I'm sorry if my pastor is hearing this, but it's really, <laughs> it's really just a story to get you to understand that. Okay. Right. So if you understand the core message, I yep. think everything else, not that it doesn't matter, but it matters less. So that's the theme of the, I guess, if you were to see it as a movie, that's the main theme of the yeah, movie. That's the main theme, right? And, to be very honest, if if you leave the movie sleeping through half of it, mm. but you caught the critical plot, <laughs> right? That, that's good enough, right? That's good yeah. enough, and and I think that's really what what that should be about. And so, you go on Wikipedia and look it up later. Yeah, like synopsis, right? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if 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 the Bible were to be written now, it'd be a very very lengthy either vlog, yeah, on Netflix, probably a collection of IG stories or something. <laughs> <laughs> Right, they'll, they'll put it on the highlights, like First Chronicles and like highlights. <laughs> that's that's a marketing idea for your church. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you think, okay, so you're age 26 now and you said you you only transited to being a Christian, I think, last year. So you were somewhat 25. Do you think that when, and I believe when you were atheist, have, have you... You 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 read the Bible and here and there. Yeah, to, to, I, I to read research, it extensively right? to prove it wrong. So, what was the the change in perception or of of uh, absorbing the text? Is it the same thing? Do you, do you have the same thoughts when you read the, the text, like from let's say age twenty two to right now? I think a lot of it boiled down on what you're reading the text for. Intention. So guess, sorry, is it intention? Yeah, I think intention as well as what you're looking at. Right, we have this thing called uh, what's it called? I think the spotlight bias or something like that. When you're looking out for a pink elephant, you're more likely to see a pink elephant. Yep. yep. Right. And when you're looking out, so when you're looking through the text for ways to prove it false, you'll find all the things that are wrong about the Bible. Why do you think that is? Sorry? Why do you think that is? I think as, as people, we're just ingrained that way. Like, it keeps us focused. Right? Okay. Yeah. And, and, and it really helped me to focus on all the inaccuracies yep. in the Bible. I got this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Like, it makes you a bit um, it, it justifies what you're thinking, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. And we are built. We are justificatory machines. <laughs> I I think you should patent that or you should start yeah. a company based on that. Yeah. <laughs> like if we forget something, we tend to make it out in our brain. Have you ever had those memories mm. where you totally fabricate half the story? That is ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. It's crazy. Like yeah. how your human brain can do yeah. that. And yeah, because that's what we are, right? Justificatory machines trying to make up information when we have lost but the idea of that, it, it throws a lot of things into question because um, I would say, let's say in, in our justice system, it relies on, I guess, uh, what's, what's that word for it? Uh, witness accounts. Yeah. Yeah. And 
if 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 that is a common fallacy, like like memories, and you can just make up memories, that doesn't bode well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't. Which is why uh, eyewitnesses' accounts uh, are not put in that heavy of a uh, of a of a weightage okay. as physical evidence. Yep. Yeah. Because eyewitnesses account change. Yep. Uh, when we were doing an ethics class, uh, a lot of it was like, in I think like 80 or 90% of the cases, when interviewed by the lawyer and interview, interviewed by the judge, not interviewed, I don't know, what's it called? Cross-examined by... Conversation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just, they give two different accounts, two separate... Do you think it was intentional? I don't think it is. So uh, it's just a variety of variables, pressure, anxiety. Yeah. yeah. Those and, things? Yeah. Yeah, and how... I mean... If you look at things like eyewitnesses' accounts, right? How can you be so sure he was wearing a red jacket on that day? It's, it's crazy. I can't even remember what I wore yesterday. Like probably the same thing. Yeah, probably the same thing. Because <laughs> I'm at home all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I, I think a lot of it, uh, even our memory is is what we call infallible, right? We cannot rely on it all the time. Unfortunately, but we base a lot of our our perception of current, present reality, our ideas, our likes, dislikes, even personality on memory. And, and memory does, um, let's say, bad memories, good memories, ob- objectively bad and good, trauma. If if everything can be put under the... Sp- or if, if everything can't be put under the spotlight and be perfectly true, then that really quest- pulls into question, like, what can we actually um, put faith in? Wow, you just started a philosophy class, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so interestingly, I, I'm not sure. There's this philosopher called Descartes. Um, okay. Rene Descartes. Does he have a mustache? Uh, he's French. I'm not sure. Probably. Like, probably. Like Most, 70% probably. Yeah, 70%. Yeah. Like white hair, wears very pompously. <laughs> yeah. So so he, he actually had this thought, right? If I can't even trust my... If I can't even differentiate between dream and reality, mm. how am I to say that what we're doing now is not a dream? Yep. Right, and he goes on to just disbelieve everything, and then that's where the famous phrase come from. Um, because I think I am, I think therefore I am. I think therefore I am. Yep. Yes. Yep. Who's the philosopher graduate here? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, you don't learn that much in philosophy. <laughs> yeah, I think therefore I am. Um, so so he claims that the only thing that we the only thing that we know is that we think mm-hmm. and that we exist. These are the two things that we can infallibly, infallibly, undoubtedly know. Okay. Everything else, we have to hold them to scrutiny or we cannot say that we 100% are sure mm. about everything else. And I thought that's a very interesting way to live life, right? Put everything that you know or you think you know under a spotlight of skepticism or cynicism mm. and question whether or not this is true. And that has really helped me uh, in a lot of things I do, right? Sometimes, uh, you know, we used to say, oh, I'm cocksure about this, or I'm cocksure about that. And it really helps to challenge your assumptions about things. And it makes you think about things a lot more. And it, I don't know, it makes you a more humble person, I feel. But I would imagine something like this is really uncomfortable to do. It is. It is. Yeah. Yeah, like every day I wake up and I ask myself, okay, is this the right religion? <laughs> and I'll like- For real? Yeah. Right. You may be wrong. Mm. You may be wrong. Yeah. And can you imagine how disastrous it is to live your life believing the wrong thing whole life? It could be. Yeah. Like, I always joke with my girlfriend, right? Like, I'm going to raise our kid up to think that milk is blue. Mm. So, by the time he or she enter preschool and they see white milk and then they're just so sure, no, milk is blue. I've always drank blue milk. 
And everybody will be so confused, but he or she will be so sure yeah. that milk is blue. And, and you start to wonder, right? Yeah. Like how many of our lives are actually like that? So we pre-plan ideas, not questioning it and just believing it? Yeah, like Chinese traditions and customs. Yep. Right? Like, you don't wash your hair or don't leave your hair wet when you sleep or you get I've definitely heard those before, yeah. Yeah, you've definitely heard those. Or, or yep. things like... Uh, oh, the chopstick one. Yeah, the chopstick one. The, the one <laughs> okay, I understand. I can see why you would think that. But so, talking about tradition. Tradition, do you think uh, as we move along as society, today, this year is 2020. And let's say in the next 5, 10, maybe when your kid is 20 years old, so 20 odd years from now, do you think there's a place for tradition in it? I think there will always be a place for tradition um, mm. in the sense that it gives us certain um, what we call markers of how we live our life um, using the spoon on the right and fork on the left or whatever way it matters. The fuck? Yeah, stuff like that. If you, if you think about it very clearly, who told you to put the spoon on the right? You though. You just literally <laughs> told me that. I've never heard that before. Yeah, but, but you've always done it that way. No. No? Really? Which, which hand do you use your spoon on? Whatever was most comfortable. Yeah, but I think you, you realize that after a while, you start doing the same things over and over yep. again. Yep. And that becomes a certain sense of tradition yep. in your sense, right? And this tradition just gives us markers on the way to live our life. Mm. Yeah. It's really more a force of habit than anything. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And some traditions make sense. Yep. You're right. Uh, like traditions about, uh, I don't know, re- remembering the dead. Yep. Or stuff like that. I think it it's just it just makes sense to know who 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 your grandfather is, just in case inheritance isn't claimed, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you realize that you need to claim that inheritance. Makes sense. Yeah. yeah. But most of it, uh, you realize that all these rituals are actually rooted in a sense of sensibility. Yep. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, 20, 100 years from now, we'll still be having weird traditions. Right. Uh and yeah, they they won't go away anytime soon. Do you think the purpose of tradition isn't isn't clear for one and isn't passed down properly? What I mean by that is um Chinese New Year. Do do you celebrate it? Yeah. So you you go for the visiting and stuff like that. Un- right? Unwillingly. Yeah. So a lot of my friends and I keep hearing from all of my friends. It's like okay, you were excited for it when you were young because it's it's yeah the the, the money is there you get to see all your relatives. But I think recently, as we we grow older, like twenty five and above or even twenty and above, you get to get a sense of why am I doing this? There's no point. Let's not do it. So so that that is really where I'm coming from because why why do you think that is because if if that were to be taken to its logical conclusion then i think maybe when you're an adult you probably wouldn't even want to do it to your kid but the sensibility is that you go and see your grandparents who you might not see always yeah uh i had this question like way younger when i, I think we were into pokemon like any primary school or something so last year, yeah. <laughs> that's right yeah. <laughs> yeah. uh i i think I, and I did some research about it. It's because uh, back in China, in order to visit your relatives, you have to travel. You have to travel hundreds of kilometers. And that's why you can only do it once a year. Yep. Yeah. And these relatives are extremely important because you, you live with them, you grew up with them, but when they marry, they move to another town. Yep. And you will only see them once a year. And this is why Chinese New Year is sacred in China because you only see them once a year. And it's like two weeks. And it's two because weeks. of the travel time. Precisely. Yeah. Precisely. And in Singapore, we tend to take that for granted, right? Because I can see you anytime. We are 40 km wide. Yeah. It's, it's not that hard. But here's the thing. We don't see them even though it's easy. Mm. Right? And this is my, my understanding or this is my thinking is because we have grown more westernized as a society. 
and Western ideals are very individualistic. What can this relative do for me? But and it's self-serving, isn't it? It is. I mean, as society, we are largely rather self-serving. Society in general, like cultural consciousness or just, you're talking about Singapore or I just in general? In, in general. Uh, or you, maybe let's just be more specific. I think like uh, in Singapore, we are rather self-serving. Yep. Yeah, when we make friends or when we do certain things, at the back of your mind, there's always something gnawing at you. What's in this for me? Yep. Yeah. And which is why I think we feel Chinese New Year as a bore, right? Because there's nothing in it for you. It's boring. It's for your parents. Your parents haven't seen their cousins mm. whom they probably hung out with when they were younger. But what if, what if, <clears throat> what if the parents think it's a bore too, but they're just doing it out of, uh, using the word tradition, out of uh, having to do it as an obligation. I think obligation is the word. And that sentiment gets passed down to the kid. And if the kid doesn't, isn't aware of the actual sensibilities of it passed on to the kid. And I think that is where certain ideas from your parents uh, can get passed down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think most times uh, we aren't taught the rationale of things and it's in our society, just, just do it yeah. because I'm your mother. Yeah. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is part of Eastern ideas, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, but it's so sad because I think we have, we have developed to a stage where if you explain to me the rationale of why we are doing certain things, I would totally get it. And if it makes sense to me, uh, I will willingly do it, right? Uh, but I think sometimes, uh, be it out of sheer laziness or think, or thinking that you won't understand why we do certain things, uh, they just don't explain to you. Or even maybe our parents don't even know. Yeah. Or they haven't rationalized it themselves. But to me, it makes perfect sense. Like when I see my grandma so happy to see the grandchildren here, they, you're not really doing it for yourself. I'm doing this to make my grandma happy. And, and if this is okay with me, um, Sometimes I think it's very selfish of us to think that, hey, this is boring for me. But we don't think about other people generally. Mm. Yeah, because as much as uh, we would like to think that we are very communitarian or we believe in the collective, uh, I think we are. We have been educated and taught and we are in such a society where if you don't take care of yourself, no one will take care of you. That is the underlying fact. It, it is a fact. Yeah. And I think it's a very sad fact, right? Because you, 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 we end up in this red race where we are competing with each other. Now I sound too communist, but it, it would help if everybody just thought about community once in a while. Mm. And and we go like, hey, you know, uh, I think sometimes it's nice, you know, to give back to community and to to do things together, right? Not like me versus you, yep. but like you and me and then we do things together. And in in today's world, or again, I, I stress this, it may not be our choice. What do you mean? It, it sometimes is really just ingrained in us from education all the way up. Like we we don't mean to be. We don't mean to be individualistic, or we don't mean to be selfish, or we don't mean to be competitive. Mm. But we are brought up this way, yeah. And I think, again, this is where we relearn things, right? Is it really a need to only think about myself? Yeah. And I think Chinese is a great example, right? There's zero benefit in it for us. The angpaos don't count anymore. Just, just <laughs> in fact, if you get to a certain point in your life, you actually have to start giving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, precisely, right? Yeah, and like friends would joke like, uh, the year after Chinese, the year after you get married, cannot go for Chinese New Year. Just go honeymoon because you must give out so many angpaos. Yeah, yeah, and to me, it's really just giving back, lah. Like these people have watched you grow up, although maybe not in our society, but. Uh, maybe in the past. I mean, your grandparents might have looked after you when you're younger. Yep. Yeah. And these are ways that we we give back or we show this respect and thankfulness to them because 
obviously Asian society, right? We don't go like, hey dad, mom, I appreciate you for loving me. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Uh. Yeah, nobody yeah. does that. And I would I would rather die than do that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I remember the first time I told my mom I loved her, she had this look of shock on her face. I was like, Are you are you okay? You, you want money or not? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. But it relates is so hard, right? Which is why we have to resort to these intangible ways of because that is probably something we learn. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And we resort to these intangible ways of, of showing care and concern. And and I think these are things that we can relearn as well. Yeah. But hard. La. It's hard, definitely. Yeah. yeah. It'll be so strange to just go around telling your parents, I love you. Like, they'll just be like, are you okay? <laughs> Boy, you want money or not? Yeah, yeah. Precisely <laughs> that. Precisely that. Yeah. I think I've read somewhere that a lot of, um, I think how we show affection and how we love, a lot of it's picked up within the first five years. Yes. And those are the things that you'll probably have no memory of. And yeah. if, I guess if you're not aware and you don't see, and if you don't examine your life, you don't see a pattern with it, it's mostly something that can just close by. And you, as I said, pass along to your kid and the cycle continues. Yeah. And which is where I think really digging down into it matters. Mm. How much of what we do is a result of what we are taught and learned, right? So much of it, like uh, the spoon and fork example, or peeing with the lid up or lid down. Hey, what? Or like when do you, do you, do you close your toilet seat after you're done, or do you just leave it leave leave it down? Leave it. You leave it, right? Yeah. Are you in a household like predominantly male? Yeah. Yeah. Right. But if you're in a household that's predominantly female, you know they 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 would prefer it. Uh, like either up because it's more hygienic. It's more yeah, hygienic, yeah. right? Yeah. So these are things I never knew until I dated my girlfriend. Yep. And I just left it up, right? Because like, for what? When you need, you just put it down. <laughs> <laughs> but their household is predominantly female. Yep. Yeah. And so these are things that I think we just, or I just took for granted that this is the way the world operates. Yep. And it's not. It's really not. And as the day goes by or as I grow older, I just start to learn more and more about these things. It's about being more about. open and yeah. accepting, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, instead of just going like, nope, this is the way I live my life. But if, okay, I would imagine the, the, the lid thing is pretty trivial, but if it's a bigger, going back to the, the idea of, if, if it's a bigger idea that you really hold dearly, there will be a lot of contention, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, which is why you see generally people of the same culture marrying the same culture, religion marrying the same religion. Is that a fact? Is that true? I, I, I have no idea if it's a hard fact, but if we look, I think just in immediate surroundings, how many mixed race couples, do you know? It won't be in the majority, mm. right? They are definitely in the minority. Uh, firstly, because of the people you hang out with. Yep. Uh, secondly, because of, like like you mentioned, differences in ideology. And these these are the things that, uh, that just is, right? And until we learn or until we get to the stage where we go, nope, you know, it's time to relook into this. Only then things will start shifting and, and you'll be really, really slow. Really, really slowly. Um, a very good example would be just LGBT in Singapore. What are your thoughts on it? Um, being a Christian now, okay, you being an atheist before, being a Christian now, studying philosophy. What are your thoughts on it? It hasn't changed. Okay. Um, fundamentally, human beings are human beings. We just stick with that, right? All human beings are human beings. There's no I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> There's no differences in human beings, right? And human beings want affection. They yep. want love. They want company. And sometimes human beings find company with human beings of the same sex. Sure. Yeah. And and that's perfectly fine. Right. Uh and even though that's not mandated by God's plan, uh 
I actually don't know enough about this to say whether it's right or wrong. Mm. Yeah. But I would think that if, if God did exist, he would want his creations to love each other. Yeah, because he is love, isn't it? Yeah, precisely, yeah. right? And and this is where I think uh, a lot of people just need to relearn their concept of of what a family unit or what love mm. or what a couple looks like. Yep. And in the past, it was so difficult. I think even if you just look 10 years ago, you would have never heard of this thing, I think, being blown up too widely. What being blown up? Or like a... Like LGBT issues. Same-sex marriage. Yeah, yeah. same-sex marriage. Yep. Yeah, but now, India, Taiwan, they've, they've legalized same-sex marriage. Yep. Like India legalizing India being one of the most culturally conservative countries in the world has legalized same-sex marriage. Would you happen to know why that is? I actually do not know okay. why. Yeah, I, I should have probably read more. Into that. But I, anyway. I thought it might be something to do with religion. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, so a lot of these things are, are constantly being tweaked and learned and I think uh, it's really about just widening our boundaries of what you find acceptable. Obviously, there will be people who say, oh, but this is a slippery slope. Oh, the, that, that slippery slope right. argument. Uh, yeah. So many slopes. Yeah. <laughs> what if you want to marry dogs? Or what if you want to marry, I don't know, their children and stuff like that. And I think all these can be easily addressed uh, if we thought about it enough. Um, yeah. Do you but, think they are valid concerns though? I think they are. Uh, yeah. Assuming that the person is actually concerned and not just trolling. Do you think they are valid concerns? Because I find it very interesting. Okay, pivoting a little bit. Um, what is happening in America right now? There's all this talk about uh, politics being played. Uh, it's might not the 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 murder of George Floyd and there are protests even going on right now. And I think the political system in America it's split between two ways: conservative and uh, Democrats or liberals. okay liberals. Yeah. yeah, which is a very funny um. Uh, dichotomy to me. Uh, I, I just want to get your thoughts on it, then I'll share mine because this is something that you are going to study. So I'm sure you have, you have, you have you're pretty in tune with it. So I just want to know what are your thoughts on um, what is going on right now in uh, America? Let's just tackle one thing at a time. Yeah. Politics in America. Yeah. Uh, it has always been by, uh, it has always been partisan. It's always conservatives versus liberals. Right. And they are, they are more polarized now than at any point in their hundred year or close to 200 year history. That's insane. Yeah. They are more polarized right now than, and in the past, Democrats and conservatives used to agree on some things. Like, for example, uh, free trade, for example, economy. But right now, they are finding less and less things to contend about. Mm. And it's just becoming, uh, just assassinating parties and they cannot agree on anything. They cannot agree on anything. And it's terrible for the country. Um, so that, that is the state of uh, politics in America where if you're not a Democrat, you're against. Democrats. You're immediately against. Yeah, it. you're immediately against. Yeah. But they're forgetting something, right? You're not against political parties. What you want is best for the nation, mm. right? And it's not, if you're not a Democrat, I don't like you. It, that, 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 that's not the case. The case should be, are you on the same side as me when we think about improving this country? Yes. Right. And most often we forget to ask that second question. We just go, are you a Democrat? Democrat? Okay, I'm not talking to you. Goodbye. That's it. Full stop. It, it, it might happen here in Singapore as well. <laughs> if you think about it. Oh, you support opposition party. Yep. Oh, yeah. You, your views are not worth listening to. Mm. And, and the buck stops there. Yep. But that's not the point of politics. And that's not the point of an informed electorate. Yep. At the end of the day. Okay, so that's politics in America. It's messy. It's very messy. Um, 
regarding George Floyd, uh, I think a lot of it is uh, really pent up tension mm-hmm. over years and years of mishandling of racial problems. Mm. Yeah. Um, racial inequality, uh, the Jaina Index, the ability for Blacks, for African Americans, I'm so sorry, African Americans to rise up through the corporate ladder yep. or through the education. It's just, everything is just stacked against them. Mm. And, and, and it's true and they don't even bother hiding it. You know, it's like out in the open. Yeah. And, and this is where I think when you're in between a rock and a hard place yep. and you have nothing else to lose. Yep. I'll just go on. I'll protest. Yep. Which is exactly what happened in Hong Kong. Mm. I have nothing else to lose. Yep. I'm just going to go all out. And that's exactly what's happening in the state where they feel that the government cannot care for them anymore. They got to do the right thing. Um, but but again, uh, I don't think protests are the best way at solving things mm. because most of the time, protesters lack certain things. The first thing is that a clear, a clear list of demands. Protesters generally don't have those. Um, the second thing is that protesters don't really have a real end in sight. What do you mean? Meaning that, okay, so if the government gives you these demands, what, what are you going to do? Are you just going to stop protesting and go back to your lives? Chances are they might not. They might not, right? Because yep. there's more and more things to do. So the thing is that governments tend not to deal with protesters that way mm. because you'll never end. You'll just want more and more things. Yep. <clears throat> and we cannot, or as a country, it's just not viable for protests to be the way for people to show that they are unhappy with something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's just it's it's not sense. helpful. Yeah, it's yeah. not helpful. Yeah, it's exactly. not constructive. Yeah. yeah. But then again, on the other spectrum, you have Singapore, right? Where where you you cannot protest at all. And if you try to say something funny, they puff my you. Yeah. Yeah. Please, please don't puff my me. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, exactly that. So I think it's it's really finding this balance between hearing out your people hmm. and coming out of constructive policies to do that. And <clears throat> it's impossible to do that in America because it's so bipartisan. It's so, it's so polarized, right? Anything the conservatives raise, the liberals will shoot it down. Anything the liberals raise, the conservatives will shoot Even though it's a good policy. Mm. But just because I'm from a different party from you, I'm going to shoot it down. And this is why things don't get done. Yeah. And that is the danger of partisan politics. Partisan politics. Yeah, partisan meaning uh, I belong to one party, you belong to one party. And we are constantly fighting within parties, mm. right? Instead of thinking for about the, the good of the people or for the good of my party. Yeah. And it's not, like a team sport. Uh. Yeah, precisely, right? But it's not for the good of the nation. Uh. Mm. Yeah. You win the championship title, sure, but the nation goes to shit. Uh. But because it is set up like this, there is a winner and a loser. And you in a country, you cannot have 50-50, one win, one lose. <laughs> precisely. Precisely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that is exactly the 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 problem mm. in America now. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, color this this part of the conversation with this question. What do you think the role of government is? To govern. <laughs> okay. Uh, very simply put, the, the role of government, uh, if we think in it from a purely uh, political philosophy perspective, uh, it's really just a bunch of people who come together and we go like, okay, we need a certain semblance of structure in how we're going to do this. Who's going to build houses? who is going to provide education. And it's very hard if everything is community, very ground up, like a village, right? It's going to be very, very hard. Why is that difficult? Because we are not talking about 150 to 200 people. We are talking at millions and millions of people. It's very helpful in a village, 150, very easy. I just get one village chief and he does everything. Because it's a very, very micro scale. Yeah. But when you're thinking and go countries, it's a mega scale, right? And we 
And in a democracy, what happens is that we all, we all practice uh, what we call a vote, mm. uh, to vote in a government. Yep, yep. And we say, okay, I give you this ability to coerce things from me or to- Or to represent what you want. To right? represent yeah. what I want, right? And given this power, you have, you must have my best interests at heart. That is what, that is the unspoken thing. Uh, I don't know if that's true. It, it's supposed to be, yeah, sometimes it doesn't look very true. But yeah, but so- right. That's the purpose of a democracy. <clears throat> Precisely, that's yeah. the purpose of democracy. I mean, there are other ways of doing it. There's communism. Yeah. Uh, there's- uh, Fascism. Fascism. Yeah. There's a dictatorship. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, and so there are many, many different ways of doing government. And the main role of government is really to divide resources among people such that everybody is taken care of. Yeah. And so I think that's the role of government. And most governments do it well. Some don't do it as well as others. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing is that the problem with governments in a democratic context is that instead of just taking care about you, taking care of you, they must take care of themselves. Right, they must ensure that they stay in power. That is the that is the funny thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's really funny, right? It's really funny. If it's up to me, we we I would say that we should just get the most benevolent person in the country who will do nothing for his own good. What what so so what is the definition of benevolent? Meaning that uh say in the past, uh what happens is that we the ideal structure that I think Aristotle or Plato thought out is somebody called a philosopher king. Elaborate. <clears throat> he is a king who has absolute rule over everybody, but you trust him because he has your best interest at heart. Because he knows Twitter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and so you just trust him like, that he has the best interest at heart and he'll do everything that's for the good of you. And obviously he's smarter than you. Mm. And obviously, obviously he's, he's smarter <laughs> than you. <laughs> okay. I mean, he has to be like, yeah, he's the yeah, king, right? Yeah. And, and so, so that, that's another way of government. Yep. Yeah. So I think a lot of times, uh, we just, or we only view one way of doing things, right? They're like, oh, this is the way it's always been done. Let's just stick to this way and stuff like that. So, I mean, there are other ways of doing things. I'm not, I'm not suggesting we revolt, but, uh, there are different ways of government and yep. different ways of doing things. Yeah. So two questions following that. When you look at America right now, uh, my perspective is that I agree with you. I always found it weird that they have to, there's these two, um, camps really being liberal or being progressive or being conservative. To me, I always viewed it as a left brain, right brain thing because the left brain, it's more, it handles the creativity part in, in yourself while the right brain handles the logical part. I think it's the other way around. Swipin. Yeah. <laughs> what if, no, I think it's left and right. I think left brain is the logical one. Okay, later we check. Yeah, yeah. But whichever the case is. So it always, when I first heard about American politics, not even right now, but I think years before. It's like, it's quite obvious that you need both parties working in tandem because you need both parts of a brain. You cannot just have one. Yeah. It will be very, very imbalanced. Not even polarized, but in the human body, you might not even function well. So it's very, very clear to me. So until recently, it just dawned on me that maybe this is politics. Huh? Maybe they just don't want uh, a, because they need to stay in power because whoever, because they have, they're made up, I think the, the Senate, the court, the president, and you have all different people. Yeah, different, yeah. And different people have different uh, agendas. So it is quite obvious to me that 
it is the whole thing is a farce. <laughs> they're just bickering and fighting amongst themselves, and it's not for the people. So let's say if we agree that the government is to to do good for the people, how should they navigate all of this? Let's say in America, because they 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 tout themselves <clears throat> as a democracy. Do, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think essentially when <clears throat> your citizens get to vote a representative, they are, they are a democracy. Okay. So that's the key idea of democracy. Your, the citizens get to vote who gets to be in power. Okay. That's a democracy. Whether or not it's a functioning democracy <laughs> is another thing. <clears throat> um, the problem, I think in America, yeah, you're absolutely right that uh, it's very imbalanced. People criticize the Democrats for being too logical. Can you imagine it? you're being criticized for being too logical? You're not putting enough emotions into your policies and I'm just... Emotions? Yeah, emotions. Do you Sorry. think that emotions has a place in policy? I think it does because policy, at the end of the day, you, you're still a representative of the people. Yep. You're, the people you represent must understand the policy you're doing. And if they mm. cannot agree with it, then essentially you have good policy but an unhappy electorate. And you're not doing your job. As and a maybe next cycle, they'll just vote you yeah, out. Yeah, they just vote you out. Yeah. Um, so it, I think they have a way out of it. It's that they need to stop disagreeing with each other just because. Okay. Just because. Yeah, they're disagreeing with us just because they, the entire thing is just like, Democrats say something and Republicans just go, boo. <laughs> <laughs> there's, zero, um, there's zero conversation about it. Okay. Yeah. And that is the saddest part. It's just like, what? Do you, you think it's on purpose? I think a lot of it is what we call politicking, right? Or it's just a show, right? To show that, hey, I represented your interests by disagreeing with theirs. And, and that that looks good. Mm. It looks good. And it says, I believe in nationalism. Even though the other proposal might might, might have some merits to it, uh, people just overlook it and just go, just because you're a Democrat, you'll definitely not have a proposal that Republicans would like. Yep. yep. Yeah. <clears throat> and obviously, uh, that, that is a problem in America. Uh, if you bring it home closer to Singapore, we see almost the same thing. Right? Okay. Yeah. Even though I think there's more, slightly more constructive debate in Parliament in Singapore than, than in the US, um, we need to, we need to really stop and think how to stop playing along party lines and start asking, or Americans should start asking themselves <clears throat> what is really good for the country. Mm. Yeah. And to be very, very frank about it, I think most people just don't know what's going on. Yeah, if you ask, okay, I'm not in America, so I don't know. But if you ask the average American citizen who is the senator representing them and what causes he's fighting for, you probably wouldn't know. Yep. You ask the average Singaporean, who is your MP? Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. And we're just not interested, right? By the end of the day, we bicker and whine about how government is not doing enough. We have an image or an idea of what <clears throat> they are talking about, what they represent, because we read it, we read the headline somewhere, somebody told us. And, and that is like a false idea we're fighting for, but Maybe if we actually looked into it, it might be totally different. Yeah, and we should, right? Because if we are a democracy, we should be interested in it. It's our lives. It's yep. this is the representatives that are voting and they're dictating our lives. Yep. And okay, not dictating, but they're managing our lives. To right? a certain degree, yeah. yeah. So yeah. So if if they are doing that, I I better know mm. what they're fighting for. And if this person is talking nonsense, I'm just not gonna vote for them the next election. Yeah. And the thing is that most people either don't care. Yep. Or they don't re- they don't want to care, yeah. And I think that's the worst thing that can happen in a democracy where people just don't vote. Then what is it? Are we really a democracy? Do you can you imagine a population of people 
tuned into to 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 their politics, not not knowing a lot, but just having base knowledge. Can you imagine a population like that? Because I can't. Uh, if you think about it, that's what the news is for. Mm. It's really to keep you informed of what's going on, and for you to be to understand how certain policies are affecting you. Mm-hmm. Um, you're right. I don't think I can imagine a population that's like that. Um, imagine I, I would say I guess if it's a small small village of 150 people, 100 people, right? And the village chief does something stupid like <laughs> slaughter the only chicken laying eggs. You you would know about it. And you would you probably know, slaughter him. Yeah, slaughter him, right? Yeah, and lynch him. Yeah, yeah but in in our in our day and age where there's just so many information coming at us, we have to take this time and this effort out to suss out information. And it's just too time consuming for the average citizen. Yes. Yeah, it's just too time consuming. Yeah. Uh which is why I think now there are quite good resources online that make all these election news or all these news and the very bite-sized information. You have uh, to read, uh, people don't read. Uh. Yeah, you have to read. <laughs> you have to be interested. I think mm. people are just uninterested. Yep. Yeah. And if they're not interested, then there's really nothing you can do to convince somebody, right? Like, if I'm not interested in the arts, you cannot force me to go to art gallery. I will never go. Can, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I don't free alcohol. But I think it's funny because, um, you, yes, the media is really important. The media... <clears throat> The media used to have a responsibility of delivering news. But from what I read and from what I watch and from what I observe in America, the media, it's almost the media, it's, it's, it is almost as though the media seeks to divide and to, it, it seeks to display, yes, news coverage, but it swings. It's a very biased perspective and they don't even touch on the, 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 the whole picture. They are intentionally misrepresenting any given piece, piece of news to satisfy their fan base. Yeah, so I, 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 I heard something quite interesting recently. It's like, yes, the, the, the media used, used to deliver news because you had radio, you only had newspaper right now. But increasingly, that isn't the case. News outlets don't do <clears throat> that anymore. You don't watch the news to, <clears throat> to get information. You can get information from Google. So what is what what news networks have devolved into is to sensationalize news because they were comparing, I think, how like I think election season is coming up uh, in Singapore and in America, but especially in America, you have two cable networks giving their side of the story, and it's very very polarized. And you have one side giving one side of the story, and you have all the different publications, all the different uh, newspapers, just writing opinion pieces and writing uh, articles that might not have substantiated facts. And that is where it gets really troubling because, first of all, it's a lot of information. I don't believe that any, any one person can have the time, the attention span even to read 10 of these in a day. I think it's quite ridiculous if that's not your job. So the question is, how does one suss out what is objective truth in this shitstorm? <laughs> yeah, because it's, it is it is very funny because um right now the, the, the current president in America is Trump. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, oh, that's a lot of questions. Okay, I'll, I'll answer the Trump one first. That's yep. easy. Yep. Trump is a very good politician. 
How so? He knows what to say to get people to vote him in. Mm. Right? In a, in, a, in a time where America want, wanted to stop being the world police, they wanted to be more nationalistic. He said exactly the right things. Make America great again. And guess who loved it? You know, the people in the Midwest. Yep. The people who are tired of corporations uh, having to, you know, of people of tired of America of caring other people's business. Yep. I want people... I want America to be good again. I want, I want us to be number one again, even though they're still number one in a lot of things. So I have no idea what the game is for. Um, and, and he know how to get, he knows how to get votes. Um, and this is why he's a good politician, a good leader or a leader with the population at heart. I don't think so. Mm. Um, obviously you see the way he acts, uh, the way he treats women, the way he treats everybody. Yep. Yep. It's just not the way a leader should act. And, and these, and these are actually funnily what his voters like. This rash, arrogance, show of power that I can do what I want because I'm American. A lot of people say because it's different. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That too. Um, there's this uh, opinion piece that uh, when things have been too calm for too long and things are doing well, uh, some anybody who dares to be radical will actually win or will actually get a lot of votes. Okay, so unfortunately, we had a fucking error with our recording. So we we just missed out, I think, 30 minutes of conversation. We kind of talked about um, social media. We kind of talked about the perils of it. Apparently, Jared really believes in aliens and he really, really wants to meet one. <laughs> so if anybody out there knows any aliens, please grant him his wish. And... I believe you shared something interesting about the Singaporean identity as well. Could you expound on that? Because um, when you do further your studies with uh, policies and studying about them, is it something that you will want to implement back in Singapore? Definitely. I, I wouldn't say that I ever dreamed of doing policy for Singapore. Mm. But I think policy at any level always affects the people right at the bottom. Like, for example, if you have a company with a shitty HR policy, it's going to affect you as an employee. And public policy is interesting because it, it affects every single citizen, whether or not you like it. Um, yeah, back to the question about what I think being Singaporean means. Uh, I think it's really interesting because it's super hard to pinpoint what makes a Singaporean Singaporean. You mentioned about being pragmatic. Yeah. And I think that has been the the driving force really for our parents, our parents' parents, because I would think our parents' parents, that is the generation that started it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, we're, we're, we're barely 60 years old and, but but there comes a point where being pragmatic isn't enough and I think we have hit that point. We're the generation at that point, right? We have met the basic needs of food, security, education, yeah. shelter. I mean, right now we're even thinking about where to go dinner. I mean, it's 10 p.m. We can yeah. go somewhere for dinner. <laughs> yeah, precisely. Right? We don't yeah. have to worry about putting food on the table for yep. anybody. Yep. Uh, and I think it's at this point where we are the most apt generation to think about what it means to be Singaporean besides pragmatism. Mm. Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of it is really how we choose to define it to be. I mean, we, we are going to be the defining generation. We're going to be the next generation yep. of Singaporeans. And I think if we can put, put aside all the xenophobia and hate of uh, the new citizens and the foreigners working with and among us, and we start looking 
away from if we start stop looking at ourselves and start looking at Singapore as a whole, then I think can we really fully appreciate what being Singaporean means and 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 what it means to be Singaporean? Is it about being daring to dream of a better Singapore than what you see right now? I think when I was younger, a lot of my friends uh, would say that, hey, you know, I, I would dream and I, I say I have dreams of becoming X, I have dreams of becoming Y. Yep. As we grew older, we stopped having those kind of dreams. Um, I think now most of my pe- most of my friends will be very apathetic about dreams and stuff. But I, I think we are still a generation that dares to dream. We we, we dream of world peace. We dream of uh, better jobs. Better I dream lives. of the Chi Jong Fan later. <laughs> <laughs> I dream of the fried the fried miso. <laughs> Yeah, and, and I think it is this ability to dream because we have settled the pragmatic aspects of life Yeah, that will truly, I think, define us as Singaporeans. When we dream of making things better, not only for us, but for the generations to come, and that is really, I think, what what what, what Singaporean really, really means. I mean, we have defied all odds. Yeah, mm. what is, yeah and, and, and we, have, we, have, we, have, we are here now. We don't need to worry about food. Anywhere. And you know, we don't have the same worries that our grandparents or our parents are going to have. Yeah. And so now I think we should be worried about what legacy we're going to leave behind and how we're going to make things better for, for our children and our grandchildren. So so looking forward, um, what in your opinion is something that we should retain from our parents and from their generation? And why is something, let's say if we do have to give up something uh, looking forward, what, what do you think that is right now? Yeah. I think... I think right now COVID has taught us a very important lesson about what's important and what's not. Mm. Um, suddenly, having a job seems less important when your life is at stake. Yeah. Yeah. And earning money seems less important, you know, when your life is at stake. Not all the money you have earned or you are going to earn doesn't really help if the there's no medicine or nothing can save you. Yeah, yeah, yeah precisely. So I, I think... I hope one thing that we can leave behind is this crazy drive to be the best. You know how we always want to be number one in everything? Yep. And we want to be the best. I think we, we should let that go. And we should stop striving for this weird definition of success because how much is mm-hmm. ever enough? Like, there's this study that shows that at, after, I think, 60,000 US dollars per year is dimin- diminishing marginal returns. Any any extra money won't make you super happy. Anymore. I think I think that's a that's a chink in the simulation. Uh. If you want to <laughs> create a very very well versed well odd machine, you make them one more. Uh, but it's quite interesting that after that amount, it's diminishing returns. I think that's really really very interesting. Yeah, because you know driving a three hundred thousand dollar car is not going to be very different from, from driving. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean it's definitely going to be different from walking over the place, lah. Uh, yep it's not going to really make our life that much better. And I think we, we should focus a lot more on community mm. and focus a lot more on on what we can do together instead of what we can do alone. I think this period has really showed us the power of community effort. And it's the really the ground-up efforts that are doing so much more good than this big top-down efforts. Yeah, and, and I think this is really what Singapore can be. Mm. Yeah, if, if we if we wanted to. So being more, it's communal the word? Being more civic-minded. Civic-minded. It sounds like a fucking social <laughs> social studies textbooks here. Communal sounds a bit too communist. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts? Because earlier in the conversation, we talked about uh, there are different forms of government. 
a democracy. And let's not put any morals on them, whether it's good or bad. There's a democracy, there's democracies, uh, authoritarian governments, communist governments. I don't think there's a socialist government, but let's say socialism, all these different ways of government. What are your thoughts on socialism slash communism? Are they the same? Do people associate them the same? I think most people don't even know what democracy is, much less socialism and communism. I think they think communism thing China a lot. Yeah, yeah. China. China really isn't communist in, in much of the world. I, 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 I was watching an interview uh, or like a like a, a video analysis recently. I think China adopted capitalism from America but retained a lot of uh, the traits of communism. So I think they called it capitalistic communism. Yeah, uh, a capitalistic econ- economy, but a communist uh, political system. Yeah. Uh, in this way, it's like a win-win, right? You get the best of both worlds. <laughs> yes. Uh, China does that because it has huge government-linked companies. Yes. Right, And these government-linked companies control all the main things, uh, healthcare, education, trade. Uh, communication. Communication, transport, everything that's key, it's all by the government. Um, I think... Uh, Socialism is where the social welfare of of the citizen comes first. Communism is where the community comes first. We take everything and then we divide it evenly. But obviously in socialism, an uh, elderly disabled man is going to need more help than an able 30-year-old working yep. force. And that's what socialism is about. Um, and I think there isn't really uh, this what we call best form of government. Different, different governments adapt to different situations. Mm. And the reason why communism works in China is because it is crazy hard to get a vote of close to 2 billion people. Mm. Right? You're going to have such a diverse vote, it's going to end up looking like the US. Yep. Yeah. And it works in China because they are a largely production-based country. They produce things. Mm. Mm. Uh, it's not going to work in Singapore because we, we don't produce things we have no natural resources to produce things yep. and so i think there isn't like a best uh, form of government but it really depends on uh, what the, the country needs uh, to to run effectively um, a democracy always sounds nice because uh you get to choose or you get to vote i've always had this very sh- so it's very funny because when i think of democracy i would i'm biased towards it because i'll always think that it's a it's a good form of government but Going back to America, it's not. <laughs> yeah, 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 precisely, right? Yeah. Because when, when we think democracy, we think that the people electing the government in are uh, educated, uh, they know what they're doing, and they're not just crazy people with a vote, right? <laughs> the, there's a reason why we don't let babies vote, because they don't know enough. Yeah, there's a reason you have to be a certain age to yeah, vote as well. precisely. And so uh, I read this professor who said that before you, you can vote, you should do a, like a trivia of how well you know politics. And if you don't pass that trivia, you shouldn't be allowed to vote. And that makes sense, right? Because if you don't even know anything about it, what are you voting for? Mm. Yeah. And that's not, that, that's very radical, by the way, because huh? people think that it is their right to vote, whether or not they know what they're voting for. But this is a shame, because it's easy to control. Precisely. <laughs> Precisely, yeah. And then it becomes like a populist vote. Yeah. You vote for the most popular kidding class. Mm. Yeah, and... That is one of the dangers of democracy. Yeah. So I guess society never really evolved past the classroom. <laughs> Anything <laughs> that you want to talk about can be traced back to the classroom. Yeah, I mean, we spend a good chunk of our life in a classroom. Mm. Yeah. 
I know the most formative years are spent in classrooms. And guess who controls education? Coco. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess just to end off this conversation for the fucking second time. Um. So in in the discarded conversation, you talked about simulations. You talked about how if it really truly was a simulation, you wouldn't want to know. Yeah. You would be happy with uh, being oblivious, basically. So I think my question to you, and I think it's a very meaty question, is do you believe in free will then? Do you believe that everything, if you zoom out enough, there is a certain pattern to it? There's a certain sense of predetermination to it? What are your thoughts on free will? Wow, this is such a strange last question. This sounds like a first question. No, 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 no. (laughs) My thoughts on free will. uh, I'll give you the religious answer. I'll give you my answer. Okay. Um, Oh, it's different. Yeah, yes and no. Sure. Um, Christianity says that there is free will because God gave us free will to choose. That's the religious answer. Uh, My answer is, I think whether or not you have free will really depends on what you do with that will that you have. Sure. Yeah. Man, everybody can have free will. Uh, it's what you choose to do with it that matters. Um, I, and yeah, if you zoom out big enough, right, and you take everybody as a statistic probability, the free will doesn't matter at all. If, if you think about it. Right? Why? What, what does your free will have in, say, a million years of history? Nothing. It's a blip. It, it is statistically irrelevant. Yep. And if it's statistically irrelevant, then does it really matter if we have free will? Mm. Yeah. So when people go like, oh, but we have free will or we have rights or we can choose. Like, yeah, okay, you can choose, but does it really matter? Like, I think it depends on what frame, what framework you're looking at that value of free will True. Yeah. Definitely. And, and again, and again, I think we have to be very clear that a lot of the free will that we have is based on our upbringing our mm. education our surroundings our environment and all these shape our choices and and when we look at all these in totality it seems a lot like predetermination predetermination but I'll argue that it's not because you can still choose to walk out of it you can still choose to change your mindset you can mm. still choose to say nope I've had enough of this homophobic xenophobic nonsense and I'm going to make a difference and obviously this is evident in the world today and if everything is predetermined then we won't have people walking out of these preconceived notions and traditions. Yeah. Which is why I think even the secular reasoning, uh, free will is, is a pretty strong argument. But whether or not free will matters is a whole other thing. Do you think both both scenarios could be true? What do you mean both scenarios? You can you can choose to, let's say, following your example, uh, you can choose uh, to 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 believe certain things for a very long time and you can choose not to believe. So by that right, you have the decision, you have the choice to do it. But things are still predetermined in a sense because it is, you are affected by the ide- ideologies, pe- uh, you exchanging ideas with people, people talking to you, so... When someone says something to you at that particular point in time, which triggers a reaction and which triggers your choice, basically. So in a sense, those two scenarios could be true. Yeah, I, I guess you, you could say that uh, because given certain scenarios and circumstances, um, people would always pick A over B, mm. then yeah, things are pretty predetermined, right? Or given a large enough sample population, 
people would always pick A over B if you have this set of premises uh, in place. Then, yeah, you could argue that things are predetermined. But I, I think going from a very common sense kind of thing is that we know things are... Or we, we can have this semblance that things are predetermined. Because you, or for example, people who are brought up in almost exactly the same circumstances, like twins, same background, uh, yeah. twins, for example, they can end up doing drastically different things. Yep. And why is that? It's because, you know... Of the individual. Are, yeah, on the yeah. individual's choice. And obviously, this this, this shows that, uh, you know, it's, it's not predetermined. Mm. Uh, you can choose. Uh, sometimes it's easier to think things are predetermined, I think. Because it, you know, like we mentioned just now, it helps us to make sense of the world and the choices. That it removes the responsibility and of the idea of you taking responsibility for action. Yeah, which is ridiculous. We should be responsible for. I think it's very liberating. It is, it is. Yeah, and it's, I guess the word is comforting. Yes. Yeah, in, in, in a sense where it is like this, or let's say if you apply for a job, you don't get it, you don't really beat yourself out of it, over it, yeah. I mean, we could look at it the other way also, right? That uh, there is not, that it's predetermined that I won't get the job, mm. but it's predetermined, but but our choices has led us not to get this job because there might be another job waiting mm-hmm. for us, right? And it's really just two ways of looking at the same coin. And it's just which side of the coin you want to be. I think it's very sad if we remove responsibility for our action, then because our actions hold no weight at all. We might as well be a robot or a puppet controlled by a puppet master. Would you think that that is the beginning, the beginnings of nihilism? I think not really. Philosophically speaking, not really. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Nihilism happens when you think nothing has meaning and nothing has purpose. Uh, it doesn't necessarily correlate with predeterminism. Mm. Yeah, you could still choose things, just that they have no meaning or purpose. Is but it yeah. is it is it a common thread among uh, philosophers and philosophy nihilism? I mean, there are people who buy into nihilism, uh, but the, the, <laughs> there's this philosopher who once who 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 I think who, I think yeah, it's a philosopher who said, you know, if nihilism is true, then you shouldn't be writing about it. Because if you think about it, if nothing matters, then why why write about it? Then nihilism doesn't matter. Mm. Like the concept of nihilism shouldn't matter. Do you believe in it? Nah, I, I think things matter. Because if things didn't matter, then we wouldn't be doing things. Or we wouldn't care about things. Mm. Uh, but there are things that I deeply care about. And there are things that I'm interested in. And things that I find a lot of joy in. And... Nihilism, I think, is just a very convenient explanation uh, to not care about things. Yep. Yeah, to explain away apathy, to find a justification for not wanting to do certain things. Yep. Yeah. Like I said earlier, we are justificatory machines. We find <laughs> we find the best way to justify our actions. Yeah. And I guess we're flawed in that sense, lah. Yeah, I mean, everybody's flawed. I mean, if you're perfect, then what's the point? Huh. Yeah. Right, if you're perfect, if, if, if I'm perfect, then there's zero improvement to be made. I know I will have perfect knowledge. I will know everything. I I will be literally flawless. Do you think being Jesus is boring there? Yeah, I think so. I think being Jesus is very sad. Yeah. Right, like he knew he was going to die, yet he still did it. He still had. He still he had to, to do it. Yeah. And and he had to do it with the full range of human emotion. Mm. I think that's crazy, man. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm gonna like, <laughs> can yeah. you imagine? <laughs> yeah, can you imagine like I'm gonna die, it's gonna hurt like hell. Yeah. But I'm still gonna do it. Yep. And 
yeah, which is where the logical conclusion comes. This guy's either a madman, mm. or there has to be a semblance of truth in it, or a certain probability of credence in what he's saying. And, and yeah, yeah, this is why I think being Jesus is actually pretty boring. There's this book called It Must Be Boring to Be God. Right? If you know everything and you, yeah. Which is why I think worship and praise is like important to him because it's the only thing he has. <laughs> <laughs> but something can be said about a divine entity re- asking or requiring or even like accepting uh, any form of praise from, I guess, his creations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Some, something definitely can be said about that. I mean, our concept of time and his concept of time is probably really True. different. Like to him, I hope so. Yeah, our entire <laughs> lifespan may just be a blink in an eye. Yeah, like his existence may just happen in a blink of an eye. You, you never know. Mm. Yeah, but to us, it's just like so long and drawn out. So yeah, yeah, these kind of questions keep me up at night. <laughs> <laughs> While you are what scrolling Twitter? <laughs> yeah, or Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, looking at news in America. <laughs> so I guess religion would persist, some form of it. It will evolve. It will change. Some form of it will uh, move with the times. Definitely. I mean, religion has been around since the start. It will always be around because it gives people some semblance of hope, of uh, of meaning, of purpose. purpose. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the that's the the side effect of religion. Yeah, I wouldn't say that's the main point, but it's a side effect of religion. Interesting. Yeah. And that is a good point as any to end things. Thank you, Jared. Thank, Thank you for your much. time. Thank you very much for having me here. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.